0: Hello everyone and welcome to the fourth episode of Retrospectives, the podcast where we examine old games through a modern lens. I'm joined once again by my co-host James Twerlings. How are you going today, James?
1: Yeah, pretty good. Thanks, Pat.
0: Pretty good. You told me before that you were tired despite going for a run and having two coffees.
1: Well, I mean, tired in the sense that I could sleep all day. It's been a long week. Sure, (laughs) sure.
0: It is the weekend after all. Retrospectives emerged from a pretty simple idea. James and I regularly argue, used to argue about video games all the time in person, normally more modern release. And we wanted to bring those arguments and discussions we had about games and their mechanics and stories to a live audience. The key thing about this podcast is when we examine these older games, we're doing it from today's perspective we're not forgiving old games for having a bad ui we're not trying to understand in detail the context in which these games were created we want to know is this game worth your time playing today so the game we've chosen for today is castlevania symphony of the night or more accurately james chose castlevania symphony of the night classic from you know 20 odd years ago I'll turn the uh, microphone over to James so he can tell us a little bit about the game now.
1: Yeah, thanks, Pat. So, Symphony of The Night was released in 1997 by Konami for the original PlayStation. And uh, just a brief spoiler warning ahead, by the way, we'll be discussing every aspect of this game in a lot of detail. So if you want to go into it uh, spoiler free, you probably should stop listening now. The game features Alucard, the estranged son of Dracula, fighting through his father's maze-like castle in the hopes of saving humanity from the Dark Count himself. The game's main claim to fame lies in its unique level design, a large open world in which progression is gated behind exploration. Players slowly make their way through the castle, making note of areas that are currently out of their reach. By fighting enemies, defeating bosses, and stumbling across hidden rooms, the player will gain access to a number of movement abilities, such as a double jump or the power to turn into mist, which will allow them to access areas they could not previously. This 2D exploration gameplay proved so successful that it spawned its own genre of games, which are lovingly referred to as Metroidvanias, which as you can probably tell, are a combination of Super Metroid and Castlevania's titles. As the progenitor of an entire genre, I was pretty keen to see if Symphony of the Night held up more than 20 years later. With that said, I think that the game's level design is pretty central to the whole experience, and I think that everything else in the game exists as a way to kind of complement this. So I want to start off the discussion by asking Patrick, uh, what do you think of the level design? Do you think it still holds up today? Can it compete with modern titles, or has it aged like milk?
0: Okay, so when you say the level design, are you talking more the macro level design, like the overall structure of the castle and how you explore it?
1: Yeah, the big maze-like exploration of wandering around and trying to figure out where to go, essentially.
0: So broadly, I think it's pretty good. Um, I I like that the place where you are, the castle, has very well-defined boundaries. Uh, you're in a massive castle. It's a place. And as you explore around the castle, you keep seeing the outer edges of it. The broader Metroidvania idea of unlocking uh, new areas as you go through and revisiting all areas is well-represented, but it isn't as fully fleshed out or as interesting in um more modern day metroidvanias i noticed that a lot of the upgrades you got were basically just keys.
1: yeah essentially uh actually one of the things i really liked about the exploration in this game is that i think it really does a good job of rewarding the player better than even most modern exploration games In order to kind of contextualize this game for myself and where it stands in the modern day, I went back and played a bit of Hollow Knight, which is probably the most notable example of a recent Metroidvania that has done well for itself. And during my exploration in that game, none of the rewards I found quite matched up to what I was finding in Symphony of the Night. When you explore in Castlevania, You can find all sorts of things in hidden rooms of bosses' bodies, such as, you know, just the general armor and weapons of which there's like five or six slots on your character. Uh, Consumable items like health ups or temporary boosts in strength. Movement abilities such as double jumps, stuff like that. Relics, which are kind of a passive bonus, which give you a new skill, like being able to transform. New pets to follow you around and fight several different kinds of health up items, secondary weapons, uh, and then save points and fast travel points. Whereas when I was playing Hollow Knight, I found, I don't know, some new moves and some passive items, really.
0: So it's important for me to, I guess, state my stance on this with, with regards to Hollow Knight. Because Hollow Knight is one of my favorite games of all time. It was my game of the year for 2017. And in a lot of ways, it was my introduction to Metroidvanias. I've, I've played through it and finished it several times over. I think Hollow Knight does pretty much everything better than Castlevania. When you talk about exploring to find cool, cool new things, I found a lot of the systems and things you were discovering in Castlevania to be kind of cumbersome or irrelevant or minor statistical upgrades most of the time. Whereas every single thing I found in Hollow Knight felt like a significant interesting upgrade because it's less fiddly. My favorite thing about the exploration, I think, was when you when you got the double jump, for example, and you got to access a bunch of new areas which you couldn't access before. The actual things I was finding A lot of the time were, I'd say about half of the things I found I was interested in doing. When it was just another random throwing item, I was less engaged.
1: Yeah, the consumable items, I think, were the weakest. You don't feel like you want to use them because they're so limited. So they kind of just rot in my backpack uh, the entire game. So, I I mean, I'll give you that. I think that the weapons were more interesting than, and the relics are more interesting than in Hollow Knight because in that game there is this one item that increases your weapon's range and i just left that on the entire game whereas in castlevania i found that there's a lot of different types of armors right and yeah. it's not just it's not as straightforward as increasing your defense when you equip it some of these armors have stuff like resistance to being petrified turned to stone and a lot of bosses reward you for equipping the right gear to take them on in quite a substantial way which i found was really cool so when you explored like if you were having trouble with a boss and you found that item that allowed you to beat it a lot easier than i thought that was a pretty good reward for exploration and they were usually quite close to where the boss you needed it for was going to be. I really liked that.
0: So I don't want to turn this episode into just comparing Hollow Knight and Symphony of the Night as um, as easy as that would be for me uh, but I'll just address that point you made about um, getting an upgrade in Hollow Knight and never swapping it out. I think what the charm system in Hollow Knight really does well, uh, particularly as you get deeper into the game, is the notion of opportunity costs. You only have a limited number of charm slots. So as you get more and more, you want to try out new combinations. So even though initially, the one that extends your now range is good. And for the record, that is a very good upgrade that I use for most of the game. As more opportunities get uh, opened up to you you might find yourself swapping it out for different builds moving more onto what castlevania does in terms of equipping armor and using weapons that are strong against particular bosses it's a fine system i found it a little fiddly in the end i didn't feel particularly clever when i put on lightning resist armor against the lightning boss it seemed kind of obvious and in general the challenge of the bosses and enemies was such that i didn't feel the need to do that that much
1: yeah the um the overall difficulty of the game is actually quite low i was very surprised um i i don't know i died maybe like once or twice to a boss but throughout the game i didn't particularly feel challenged and usually in a game that would uh, lead me to become very bored very fast uh, but there was actually one thing that kept me really enjoying playing it throughout the entire time, and that was how nice the game felt to control. I think Alucard controls very fluidly, feels very nice to run around with. Uh, his jumping uh, and horizontal movement in the air is very snappy, and just the kind of short hopping, hitting forward, and then like floating backwards gameplay was felt really nice to me the entire game.
0: The controls are incredibly tight. They're, they're shockingly tight for a game released. Yeah, it's in insane, this era. Right? Like you can turn on a dime. Your sword slashes are like instantaneous. The moment you press the button, the the damage goes out. There's no cumbersome long animations. He controls incredibly well. What I will say is that I think that there are some, I'd say, environmental design challenges or there are some issues with the size of Alucard relative to the enemies and environments he exists in because even though Alucard controls very well you're often in very cramped spaces uh, yes and the size of your character model relative to the projectiles and attacks that you're expected to dodge is a little is a little out of whack it often feels nearly impossible to dodge these attacks because an attack will take up three quarters of the corridor and your character would need to I guess jump almost perfectly to avoid damage it it, it doesn't feel quite right even though the the actual controls are very tight
1: yeah there was there was a couple of rooms in the game where you enter them and if you take the hit from an enemy immediately it will knock you out of the room did you ever experience that because that (laughs) happened to me me
0: all the time there was one room in particular one where i died several times where i needed to there were basically all of these musket enemies guarding a (laughs) called the shield rod you needed to slowly advance forward blocking as you went but to get through this room i kept dying and getting knocked out of the room over and over and over again it was where i had my most deaths out of any room do you know the room i'm talking about
1: i think so the one it was, that it was ha- in
0: the coliseum on like the bottom floor
1: it happened to me in the coliseum too but it was the one where there were, where there were these these horse knights running back and forth. oh yeah oh god <laughs> that was uh that was an experience definitely uh didn't yeah, age the, the, the way
0: to beat that was to kind of just run as deep into the room as
1: you, as could you can and, and then and get knocked up, to the yeah. other side yeah with respect to the controls still there's this button that lets you dash backwards and once i discovered how fast it moved you i moved throughout the entire game just turning around and spamming the back dash instead of running forward i don't know I if you did that walking. yeah but i was definitely doing that for the majority of the game
0: yeah, it's very satisfying to do as well. Like how you kind of blur slightly and kind of just drift
1: along the ground It's yeah, pretty, I, pretty funny. I really liked doing it. Um, it was, it was pretty, pretty silly, but I felt like I was being smart. So I don't know if that was intentional, but um, I do enjoy it.
0: <laughs> I, I doubt it was intentional. It was, me- I think it was designed as a back dodge. Returning once again to the, um, the level design and the exploration. One of the things that really brought me moments of happiness in this game were the bits which were like Dark Souls. And I know that everyone always always talking about Dark Souls, but I feel there's almost like a black hole in development design between the release of this game and Dark Souls, which came out in 2011. Because what would happen when I was playing Castlevania is that I'd open a shortcut to a previous area, I discover a lift that let me access an area and I'm like how is it that this game was released in 1998 or 1997 as you said but I don't have any memory of anything like this until you know 12 13 years later when Dark Souls came
1: yeah I agree actually the level design is quite big and I think it does a good job of a lot of the gameplay is kind of memorizing where you can't go and then Uh, connecting the dots once you get a new ability and then going back there. So there's a lot of backtracking, but I never felt like it was uh, particularly tedious because there's a number of ways which the game circumvents you having to spend a long time moving around the castle. So there's teleporter rooms you can find, there's little shortcuts you can open up once you've beaten a level and once you get later in the game you get some really advanced movement abilities that allow you just to kind of cheese your way past enemies so it doesn't like waste your time almost and i yeah, really like the that world,
0: the world map becomes increasingly interjoined as you uh as you yes. explore so uh initially you need to do a complete loop of the castle to get back to your starting point but by the time you fully export the castle there's several paths to optimize your efficiency
1: yeah and uh, I think that's really good level design. I think it holds up absolutely holds up today for me. Um, yeah, it does.
0: It, it's it's just remarkable that uh that that Dark Souls is the first point of reference that I can think of replicating this sort of level design. It, it really is. I think it's astonishing that when I saw this, I was like, "Oh, I, I saw this in Dark Souls," and it was so <laughs> much later in history. So yeah. Had a little squeal of delight when uh when I first found that lift and it sent me uh it sent me ricocheting down the down level. to the bottom and that lift yeah. has a
1: great little animation because oh my
0: god it's like it's like you're getting slammed into the ground it's, yeah
1: it just because pretty- in a two D game you just kind of expect like this elevator to move down linearly no it just it drops it drops it you and drops. it speeds up and it speeds up and it speeds up and then eventually it slams to the ground and it kind of jiggles around and you really feel the weight of it. And I, I really like those little touches um, that you kind of find throughout the game. So with the gameplay being so snappy, that was kind of my main motivation to continuing to play the game. You know, aside from the being on the podcast, right? Because a lot of the enemies and a lot of the bosses really didn't present the player with any interesting mechanics to interact with. And I think for me, this is probably the biggest disappointment of the game, most of the enemies walk forward and you hit them. And then uh, there's, a, there's a couple of exceptions, actually. Uh, there's one enemy with a ball and chain uh, that you can hit a few times. And then like you have to dash back to avoid its big output put throw. And then yeah, there's, there's this enemy that I remember having a really cool animation. It's a big knight that lunges forward and does several really fast short sword jabs in front of it. Um, But the way it's animated is just the sword kind of like flashing up and down in a cycle. I thought it looked really cool. But yeah, aside from those, generally the bosses were quite easy. The attacks were easy to avoid.
0: So with the combat in general, I think that when Castlevania's combat is at its best, it's only decent. I think the combat in this game ranges from bad to decent at best. It's very, very simplistic and it's hard because the game does control very well it's just the the actual I guess process of combat is very dull most of the time you're usually walking up to an enemy and trying to either Dps race it down or there'll be one attack that can damage you in close range so you hit them a couple of times back up and then repeat. And part of the problem is that it's exactly the same for the bosses. There, there are a few bosses which do challenge you in different ways, but on the whole, you're just running up right next to them and spamming attack. It's, it's not very interesting and it's not very enjoyable. It's the weakest part of the game by far.
1: Yeah, I want to emphasize, though, that despite it being mechanically entirely uninteresting, when I think go back and I think of the combat, I actually think of it quite fondly because of how nice it feels. So it's not going to challenge you. It's not interesting in any way, but it feels so good that you probably won't hate it when you're doing it, right?
0: I, I think that's a that's a fair assessment. Having the the very fact that you your character controls smoothly just does add a lot to the experience. I guess that says something about how important um, tight controls are in games. Where even if it's un, even if it's unengaging, if if you feel like controlling the character feels good. Then, um, then you can still have an okay time with them. I, I will add that I think that a lot of the problems with the combat can actually be pointed at the leveling system in the game. So as you play Castlevania, you level up, you gain experience and you get stronger. It's not anything elaborate, you're not assigning statistic points or anything, but your character gets stronger, they start doing more damage and they start taking less damage. Their magic attacks do more damage, etc., etc. What this meant is that the difficulty curve of this game was literally all over the place. So you would get to some fights, and you'd be over-leveled, and enemies would be doing one damage when they attacked you. Yeah. One damage per hit. You'd basically be invulnerable, and you'd spam it, go walk up to them, hit attack a bunch of times, and they'd die, and you'd have taken seven damage. Were other I, fights you got into and these were fewer and further between where an attack would do some absurd amount of damage to you like it would do half of your health and you'd be like what's even going on anymore
1: I actually never found that second example I definitely ran into the <laughs> first all the time though I will say I think the leveling I think there should be some kind of boss scaling in the game uh, that makes them more consistently and fun what I think the leveling does a good job of is speeding up the process of getting through all the the generic enemies when you're traveling through the level when you come back to the start of the game the second time you just speed through it because you can one hit every enemy that previously took three hits and i think that's really good for uh not making the backtracking tedious i think it's absolutely necessary
0: yeah, I think it was too dramatic though. I don't have a problem with your character getting uh, stronger as the game goes on. That's fine, but it gets to the point where enemies are literally zero threat. In a game like Dark Souls, once again, or even Hollow Knight, enemies can still do damage to you. That's still a my, those early game enemies aren't really a threat in the same way. But you can still get caught in ambush. In Symphony of the Night, you're vulnerable.
1: Like you just. Particularly with Dark Souls, it's not just your stats. You've gotten better at the game, um, by the time you come back to those early areas and you realise that their mechanics really aren't so difficult anymore, so you can breeze past them. Even if your character's still level one when you come back, you could do a better job. Whereas in yeah, as in Castlevania it's all stat based. Like I feel like I was as good at the game near the end as I was at the beginning. Yeah, so on the whole, you know, combat's whatever. How did you feel about the use items, by the way? Throughout the game, there's a number of secondary weapons you can pick up, but you can only hold one at a time. And I kind of liked the idea, because a lot of these weapons are actually quite powerful. There's one that can stop time, even. There's a bunch of weapons that do a lot of damage. And I've often found that I struggled with the choice of whether to keep or discard a weapon, and I thought that added a lot, because you use them quite often through the game, And to me, it did a little, it helped a little of keeping the gameplay from feeling monotonous by giving you basically an input that changed constantly throughout the game.
0: Um, I thought they were excellent. Uh, I I really liked them. They're mostly ranged attacks. Yeah. uh, And most of them feel like they've got a spot. There are some which are kind of dinky, like there's the one that shoots a bouncing projectile, and there's the one where you, I think it's like holy ash that you scatter on the ground. The other four to five are all interesting and good in different spots. Like uh, there's a holy water that creates like a pillar of flame on one spot. There's throwing daggers which throw out fast uh, moving projectiles directly in front of you. There's one that does like an AoE attack in um, in a space around you. And yeah, all, all of these different attacks felt stronger or weaker against different enemies in, in different situations. So I thought on the whole, those sub-weapons were really well done. I liked how you kind of used different ones as you explored the castle. I, th- I yeah. thought it was a good addition.
1: There was a couple of times where I actually backtracked to find a specific weapon because they all dropped from the same... Uh, You you can hit these candles in the rooms and sometimes they drop weapons. Most of the time it's just like a couple of coins or so. Um, But that was one or two points where I went back specifically to get Time Stop to help with an enemy. And it's interesting that we have, I don't think we've seen a similar system in many games since then. But I think it's a really good idea for adding variety to the gameplay and um, interesting decisions for the player.
0: Yeah, it's like a secondary weapon system. I guess the closest you have to it is like a bow and arrow that you have access to in some games, but really there's not the variety there. Like a bow and arrow with different arrow types isn't as interesting as having the variety of options that's presented to you. So yeah, I, I think it's a very well done system. I would like to see something like it in other games.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of well-done systems but more specifically not well-done systems i mentioned coins before and throughout the game you're able to find quite a lot of money you can amass you know a pretty substantial fortune by hitting everything and grabbing all the money but there's only one shop in the game and it has well i think it has pretty limited wares to buy did you find anything else because i i was rich at the end of the game and i just had nothing to spend it on
0: Okay, that, that's odd, because I was rich at the end of the game as well, but I didn't have enough money to buy everything. I mean, there's all the spells, and then there's the top-end, I guess, armor and swords, which are, you know, in the tens of thousands. By the very end of the game, I didn't need those, so I had better options. But the one or two times I went to the shop, I was able to spend all my money on spells and equipment.
1: Okay, maybe I underutilized it. Did it ever stock up with new options throughout the game? No, or was... I,
0: I just... I wasn't farming gold or anything. I was hitting most of the uh, chandeliers to get money where it was there. And yes, by the very end of the game, because I had, you know, really good equipment, I didn't need to buy the, you know, diamond plate or the top end sword. But I see those more as options that you can invest into in the early to mid game, if um if you want a significant boost in armor or damage output.
1: Yeah, I, I just would have liked there to be have been more shops throughout the game. I think for the amount of money that you find, you don't you're not given very many options to spend it, and I thought that was a bit of a missed opportunity. Um, yeah,
0: you um, you would have hated the uh, earlier one even uh, more because the earlier Castlevania again had money all over the place, but they just gave you points. Was oh my god <laughs> this, this was oh, a, giant a <laughs> <finish on. laughs>
1: truly groundbreaking gameplay here <laughs> you mentioned in the shops that you can buy spells and so in this game spells are essentially if you've ever played Street fighter before you have little inputs you can do on the control stick like you do a quarter circle motion and then press attack and it can do a spell and there's all sorts of those hidden throughout the game you actually have access to a whole bunch of those at the start, but it doesn't tell you, and you have to figure it out for yourself. Did you find any of those, Pat?
0: Nope. I, uh, I, I used one of the spells to see what it was like, and I'm like, eh, I don't need this. this is, <laughs> I, I'd rather walk up to my enemies, crouch down, and hit them in the foot 30 times until they die. You know, it's, it's a cool thing that exists, but they were fiddly, and I saw no reason to use them. Like, I, I don't know if they were super powerful and I was just denying myself a really cool mechanic that would have helped me. But I didn't need the help. I found that the combat was simple enough that I didn't need a uh, complicated option like this. What, what about you? Did you use them?
1: So the very start of the game is you playing as Richter Belmont, uh, a vampire hunter, I think. And you come across Dracula and you fight him straight away as the first thing you do in the game. And Dracula has a number of cool abilities, one of which is he teleports to a side of the room and then unleashes a bunch of fireballs that you have to jump over. So I beat Dracula pretty easily. And then later in the game, I'm playing Castlevania and a mate of mine walks in the room and starts talking to me. And I don't know, I don't like sitting still, very antsy all the time. And so while I'm looking at him and talking to him, I'm mashing my stick on my controller every which way in that and pressing buttons, and then I noticed out of the corner of my eye that Alucard teleports to the side of the room and shoots three fireballs just like <laughs> Dracula did at the start. And I was like, "Holy shit, what?" So, yeah, yeah, and then did i you
0: know, did you know that Alucard is Dracula spelled backwards? yes i i definitely
1: yeah. figured that out i actually um i actually thought alucard was dracula because of that for the first like 10 minutes until they You've revealed been, that he's his uh, son too much jojo yeah, basically. But yeah, I, I then spent like a good 15 minutes like sitting there trying to figure out what that input was uh, until I realized that after the first time you discover it, it gets noted down in your spellbook. <laughs> um, so I, I used that throughout the game because it makes you immune to damage and does like a fair amount of damage. is really cool. There Um, are
0: lots of um, obscure hidden things like that. So I'm going to freely admit, after getting close to the end of the game, I did start consulting the wiki. Yeah. You know how I told you there was a boss that was literally impossible? It's in the catacombs, yeah. Yes, yeah, I found him and
1: I couldn't beat him. Yeah.
0: So I couldn't beat him either, and then I looked up how much health he has, and he has like twelve thousand hit points, which is part of the reason. So I was like looking up equipment and stuff, and there's a thing. Did you find the Alacard shield? That's the shield you have right at the start of the game.
1: Yeah, I found that.
0: So when you equip the Alacard shield with the shield rod, and you hit attack and raise shield at the same time, this works with the shield rod with all shields. Shields gain a special ability. This isn't written down anywhere. I don't know how people figure this out, but when you hit the buttons at the same time, your shield gets a special ability. The Alakard Shield activates an ability that does 256 damage per frame on here. Uh, on what? what? So you hold, you hold up your shield, you walk up to that boss or literally any other enemy in the game, and that boss with 12,000 HP dies in about seven seconds.
1: Oh my god! I used the shield rod for so long with a shield, and I never figured that out. Yeah, it's uh,
0: it's an interesting thing because the game is filled with stuff like that. And that that move, like that's it's basically a cheat code. I yeah, because I, I I was like, let's try this out, and I'm like, this is absurd. Like, <laughs> it makes you invulnerable. Oh yeah, and in, in addition to doing that, it heals you every time you do damage, what? and you get item power back. So not only does it do more damage than any other weapon in the game by a ridiculous amount it also heals you back
1: perfect shield only playthrough let's go
0: (laughs) well well yeah the the game the game has all of these kind of like
1: hidden secrets hidden techniques
0: and everything and i'm not sure how i feel about it i love it on one hand it's really cool that there's all these cryptic things which you don't really understand the item descriptions are very vague and don't explain what they do a lot of the time and i can imagine back in the day playing through this game when you don't have access to the internet or wikis or anything it would be a very interesting experience you know sharing things with your friends yeah
1: i was just thinking that like if you don't have access to the internet and you're not doing a podcast where you can't talk to each other about the game I would have been playing this game and been like, holy shit Patrick, you can do this move by pressing up quarter circle, like because I found this randomly. We wouldn't have found all of the secrets, but each of us would have found something different, and then you know, that's that that's a sense of community, right? You can share that. There's value to that. Being like, Whoa, this is so cool. But the uh, thing
0: is in today's day and age at least at least for me the way i tend to treat games i guess like dark souls is my first run through is blind but when i've beaten the game i go to the wiki and i read and i read and i read i find out all the cool things i want to know all the secrets i want to know how to complete all the ridiculous quests and yeah i don't know if that changes or invalidates the first playthrough do, do you think it's a good thing that all these secret things exist if we can just find out about them you know on completion of the game I, I guess it makes further replays of the game more interesting
1: yeah i mean if you enjoy finding those secrets you can purposely not look at the wikis right and then well, i don't know, I, for, I, for me yeah for me when i can't I, resist I, yeah, I also looked up the wiki at the end, but usually in Souls games and stuff like this, when I'm reading the wiki and I find all these cool things hidden in there, that's, va- that's still enjoyable for me. And I'm like, oh, that's really cool that they added that. You know, it makes me think more of the game, even though I didn't necessarily engage with it at the time of playing.
0: But how many people do you think discover these things on the first playthrough? I think that something like the access to the inverse castle is more in line with the sort of secrets I like, which is that in your regular play, if you delve deeply enough, you will find more and interesting content. Having to enter a bunch of random button inputs to get an output is less what what I'd want. I'd want there to be some kind of hint that a particular sequence of button inputs gives you, gives you a spell. Like maybe... I mean- on a random wall in the castle, it has those button inputs kind of faded into one wall. Just having them exist in the game feels a little loose to me.
1: The shop does sell spell books, like which teach you these.
0: Oh, does the shop have all the spell books? I thought I'd know I don't. I don't think it
1: probably. has all of them, but I think you can find at least a reasonable amount throughout the game.
0: Basically, I want there to be something in the game that teaches you these things, rather than it being almost a random Easter and it can be a fairly obscure way of explaining it but just hoping you mash in the right buttons i'm I'm not a big fan
1: okay no i can see your point there i agree basically uh, i think that being obscure having a lot of cool obscure things is a good thing but i think there should be at least minor hints that they exist even if the hints are so minor that most people don't catch on um if there's like some chance then it's a bit better right
0: Yeah, it's okay for not everyone to see all the content. In fact, that's a really good thing. I just think that there should be, it shouldn't just be done by random guessing. Like, there was nothing in the game to indicate to me that pressing shield and attack at exactly the same time would activate a special ability.
1: The Shield, shield. Rod's description says, is powerful in conjunction with a shield, so I guess that's something. I just something. thought that
0: increased the damage when <laughs> when I was wielding a shield with it, but but maybe that's my fault for not delving deeply enough.
1: It probably is. Such a scrub. <laughs> <laughs> You mentioned the inverted castle, and I I would like to lead into that now. But let's start... I think we should start talking about the story before we get there. So the start of the story is Richter beats Dracula, and this castle that appears once every so often disappears into mist. And then at the beginning of the current story, it comes back. And the main character, Alucard decides upon himself to go stop the darkness from being unleashed upon the world and it's very it's an old game right it's 20 years old so the story really isn't a big focus there's like there's probably less than 20 conversations in the entire game and for the most part it's pretty cheesy it's pretty basic you're wondering i I can't
0: figure out if it's terrible or if they were just hamming it up unbelievably because
1: it's really terrible
0: the way the way they speak is like uh, that they're using all of their verbs and nouns out of order to make them sound more old timey
1: I, I read uh, somewhere that the PSP version of the game they redo the audio because the voice acting is horrendous
0: yeah but I, it's almost it's almost intentionally horrendous that that's what I'm saying like it's it's cheesy but there's there's some value and joy to be gained from how cheats how cheesy it is yeah And yes, I agree. It is terrible. But (laughs) if they're doing it intentionally, I can kind of get into it a bit more.
1: It's funny because somewhere buried in that really simple story, there are a couple of interesting themes that they minorly touch on. For example, interesting themes. What interesting themes? I'm not saying it's crazily interesting. I'm just saying. If they had wanted to, maybe they could have pushed it All further. Right. All right. So tell,
0: tell me these interesting themes.
1: So, essentially, Alucard is a half-vampire, half-human, and throughout the game, there's a couple of scenes where he's interacting with the forces of darkness that are trying to sway him over to their side, and I guess his internal conflict is essentially his fight against his bloodline versus what he believes to be right, and I think that's something that in other media is handled much better. You can make an interesting story out of that. But Castlevania just isn't interested in going deep. It just has this kind of loose motivations for the main character and doesn't do anything with them.
0: Dracula's goal is literally to conquer the world. So, you know... Yeah, and then after you... (laughs) There's there's not much you can do with it.
1: Yeah, after you defeat Dracula, your father... And the main character is like, "You are wrong all along, Father." He's like, "Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry." And then fades off like, into the I, dark.
0: I, I like how he quotes a random Bible verse at you, and Alucard's like, "What are you talking about? I don't know my
1: Bible." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh my god! Uh, and then I don't know. There's some good quotes from Dracula at the start, like on the nature of man and whatnot. But you know, there's like little things that they could have expanded on, but they didn't. I really like Dracula and Alucard's visual designs. I don't know if you gave that much thought, but. The well, do
0: you whole... want to talk about the aesthetic in general?
1: Yeah, yeah, because it's really good. This uh, game is gorgeous.
0: It's it is amazing.
1: It still gorgeous. looks nice. Yeah.
0: It doesn't just look nice. I feel this is a game that other games want today. When indie games want to make beautiful pixel graphics, this is the standout case. The game is amazing.
1: Yeah and it's not just the implementation like the aesthetic that they're drawing on is really cool. When the characters are talking to each other they kind of have this hand-drawn art and Alucard the vampire has this really like regal looking character model that is really cool and I, you don't see stuff like that in games this he, often. The
0: thing is he's not just noborn regal he's also cat-like. See it's it's this weird blend of Of looking regal but also being filled with agility and poise yes Uh, and you can see that not just in the way he stands like when he gets the edge of a platform he's standing on the tips of his toes almost in perfect balance but also in how he moves Alucard doesn't walk he flows you can see him blurring as he moves along and it all just fits the aesthetic of this character so perfectly
1: Yeah, the whole game does a really good job of tying in, because the castle's very luxurious, tying in the regality with the kind of supernatural themes that are going on with it. And I think it does a really, really good job of that. Even the music of the game uh, expresses that really well. Um, But before
0: we go into the music, just a couple more notes on the levels and the places you go. Because, yes, there are a lot, like when you go to the library or the cathedral, it's beautiful. But you also have areas like there's a torture dungeon in the Colosseum where there's all these bloody implements everywhere. You descend into the catacombs and it gradually gets darker and more open. There are a lot of believable spaces that are so beautifully drawn.
1: Yes, it does a good job of varying up the environments without... You know, you'll play a game and it'll take you to the ice world and the lava world. And at the end, you'll be thinking, how the hell do any of this like fit together? But in Dracula's castle, everything does fit together and it makes sense to be there. And it's drawn in such a distinctive way that, you know, it's it's an absolute joy to be exploring the castle and finding this new scenery. I really liked it.
0: For a massive castle, it makes a surprising logical amount. I liked how each level was you know, thematically consistent and made sense for it to be in a castle somewhat.
1: So going back to the music I guess now, so we, I mentioned that the game tries to have this good balance of regality and supernatural themes. The music does a brilliant job of blending this together. It has this kind of classical orchestra feel to it, but then, you know, it'll just throw in these guitar riffs and these bass lines and all these other instruments that make you feel like, you know, vampires and werewolves and angry, bloody, dangerous things, but also this graceful man gliding through the castle at the same time and there are a lot of standout music tracks throughout the entire game i really love the soundtrack to this game i think it absolutely lives up to the to the namesake symphony of the night uses orchestral motifs really well i think
0: were there any particular tracks that you liked?
1: Yeah, I have this written down somewhere. My my favorite track is called "Wandering Ghosts."
0: <laughs> that's one of the ones I picked out. That's
1: the uh, one you like I, as well.
0: I, well, I, I had two picked out, but I particularly liked the bassline in "Wandering Ghosts." Yes, it's uh, it's very, it's very uh, very funky. funky. But yeah, I agree. One of the things that's really cool about the music is that uh, there's a lot of variety. In it's yes. not just atmospheric music a lot of it's more in your face but still suitable for the level you're at what, why did you like wandering ghost so much was it the bass
1: it was the funky bass line and uh, they they've got this well the the track starts off with these this haunting ghostly sounds and screeching and then it goes into this like really funky lively beat i like pretty much every song in the game uh, i think
0: So the other one I picked out was one called Dance of Pales." I don't know
1: if you uh, are... I have listened to that one. I I made a point of listening to the the music last night.
0: It's a more sort of gentle piano. It's more piano-driven, very beautiful and slow orchestral music. But I I liked how the game had both. It wasn't just slow atmospheric movement. I will say that I was very disappointed in the um, inverse castle's music. So just to introduce the inverse castle here, there's a true ending of the game, which is about 25 to 30% larger than the base game, where you get two rings, you get a secret item, and you unlock the inverse castle, which is, as the name suggests, the castle inverse. When you ascend from the top of the castle and you end up in the bottom of the inverse castle, and it's literally just flipped on its head. So the roof is now the floor, and instead of and you need to make your way through the castle in reverse. What I was hoping and what I was expecting, maybe spoiled by Celeste with its B-sides and C-sides remixed music track, is that we'd get remixed versions of each soundtrack as we moved through each section of the inverse castle. We didn't have that. It doesn't even have the same tracks corresponding to the same areas. The music almost seems randomly distributed. And a lot of it is a lot weaker and less impactful than the music as you're, you know, going through the regular castle.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. They didn't take any of the good track, like the best tracks into the inverted castle either. There was a lot of repetition. And I mean, in general, I was disappointed with the inverted castle, but the music was absolutely a key point to that so going back to explaining the castle a bit so the normal ending you get involves you killing the protagonist you play as at the start of the game who has taken over the castle and is now pretending to be well not pretending but proclaiming himself to be the lord of the castle so you beat Richter and then if you do if you beat Richter the game ends and that's what I did to begin with and was like I was like, "What? It's over." It just—it didn't feel anywhere near done. I, uh, it left me feeling like, "What's going on?" So I googled it, and then I found out there was another ending, which you get by, you know, as Patrick said, getting these two items, and this unlocks these holy glasses, which i, I have no idea what holy glasses would look like, but it's you get them. You
0: glasses with a hole
1: in them. <laughs> 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 I, I was thinking maybe they were shaped like crosses on each eye, but. In any case, you put them on in the final boss fight, and suddenly you can see this floating orb above Richter's head, which you can attack. And if you destroy it, this priest pops out of this little ball and was like, Oh no, you broke my mind control spell on Richter. How dare you? And then this second castle descends from the heavens above upside down, and Richter and you talk about it. And you're like, I have to go stop daddy. (laughs) 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 gotta go stop daddy in that castle Uh, and so you ascend to the throne room of the inverted castle and work your way backwards through it the problem for me with the inverted castle was that a lot of the exploration was just nowhere near as enjoyable because you knew where every room was they don't change the layout at all it's just flipped so you know where all the secrets are And when you're playing through the castle originally, much of your progress is gated by which movement abilities you've come across. But once you're in the inverted castle, you already have them all. So getting around is really easy Uh, and there's just no challenge. You don't have to memorize where you have been, where you can't go, uh, what you need to progress. All of that is gone and half of the rewards just aren't there. Like All of the cool rewards from the first half of the game disappear. And you're left with, you know, a couple of weapons, but mostly just health ups. Uh, And I found it really boring by comparison. The main reason that I found it dull, however, is that in the original castle, I found an ability that let you turn into mist and then an ability that let you stay in mist form for as long as you had mana, which makes you invulnerable to attacks. So I just didn't fight any of the enemies in the inverted castle because I just... Invincibility floated throughout the entire time.
0: What um, what the inverted castle reminds me the most of is I don't know if you ever played uh, Pokemon Gold or Silver. Yes. But uh, in Pokemon Gold and Silver, one of the really cool features of the game, or so I thought at the time, was that you got after finishing the game, you got to go back to the original Pokemon Red and Blue games and play through them all. And I'm like, this is amazing. They've just doubled the length of the game. That's not how it works just putting a map there and randomly populating it with enemies and a lot of the time what they literally did was dump about 50 identical enemies just in a room right next to one
1: another yeah absolutely and in those rooms with 50 enemies even if you want to engage with them you can't because there's too many and you just there's no way to avoid getting hit
0: Uh, it depends on the room like the rooms with the flyers it's it's hard the rooms with the i guess the octopuses or the skeletons but uh i agree it's just it's just terrible terrible design there was no real care put into the design of these areas whereas the regular castle everything feels very deliberate and well placed yes the combat isn't very engaging but you never get the feeling like you do in the inverse castle that they've just randomly dumped enemies in locations. In addition, while you used the miss power-up, I was mainly using the bat power-up to completely avoid combat, just yeah. like you said. And yeah, when thing. I did engage in combat, it was even worse than the regular one. So the inverse castle at first blush was like this amazing, really cool idea. I was like, cool, I get to do it all in reverse, the floor is the roof it'll all be different but it's pretty samey it's pretty pretty redundant oh yeah and since most of the level design is staircases staircases upside down are still staircases.
1: one of the things i did like was that the upside down castle layouts did actually pretty well work because the roofs have been designed as platforming sections and i hadn't noticed which, you know, was fine, but it would have been better if I couldn't fly everywhere because that's all I did anyway, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it Um, kind of negated the platform challenge. It's like, oh, you turn into a bat or you turn into mist. and Yeah,
1: and and originally turning into a bat or mist was really cool. You felt super powerful, but having it so basically like three quarters through the game just trivialized the rest of the game. I wish maybe I'd gotten it a bit later in.
0: Yeah, you you might be tricked into thinking that when you access the inverse castle, you're only 50% of the way through the game, but really there's only about 20% left after that
1: point. Yeah, the worst part was I think the final fight in the game is absolute garbage. And for me, when I finished the game, I was like, yeah, I have to get through this castle and it's kind of, it's not great, but at least there'll be a cool boss fight at the end. And then it was awful.
0: Could you dodge any of his attacks? Because I used all of my potions and I couldn't dodge one attack that he did. I just sat on top of him and was spamming my attack.
1: Basically... I was turning into mist form to dodge attacks. Um, ah, yeah, so I never bothered with that. But the boss has big hands, right? And daddy's hands are in the corner of the room. And if daddy grabs you and you get stuck on the hands, you just get stun locked in place until you get lucky enough that he moves away to do a different attack. And I thought that was awful. Yeah, I basically had to face tank the boss by chowing down on every potion I'd collected in the game and hadn't used and then hopefully killing him, which I eventually did. But it took ages, and it was uninteresting. The best boss fight in the game for me was probably Death. Because apparently, in this game's universe, Death, the Grim Reaper, is an underling of Count Dracula for some reason. (laughs) Which I found to be very absurd, but kind of funny
0: well i mean in dracula's castle there's monsters from all walks of horror and theology and historical beasts it's kind of like a mesh to me dracula like represents evil almost and so all of the evil beasts are gathered in dracula's castle this the isn't the Drac- this isn't the dracula of um you know the traditional dracula i i can't remember the author of the original novel but it- it's a it's a different invention.
1: Yeah, but when I killed Death, I was like, what? I mean, I guess I'm a vampire. I was already immortal, but are all humans immortal now? Like, what the fuck is going on? You've
0: just just ruined uh, ruined the entire good job. But but it's worth it, because you killed Dracula.
1: Yeah, but his fight was quite fun. Uh, He throws a lot of stuff at you, and there's a lot of dodging. Uh, I thought it was probably one of the better ones.
0: Yeah, Uh, no, I... With my criticisms, boss fights—they're not all bad. The the other one I liked, which once again was pretty easy, was there's a fight you you have a fight against a giant bat, and he moves around the room and he uses wind attack. And there there are some bosses with some interesting mechanics which do involve dodging, but. I don't know, man. Generally, I was just I was just tanking attacks.
1: Oh, uh, I killed the bat in three hits because it was I I missed it the first time through the inverted castle, so it was the yep. last one that I killed. Uh, yeah. See, uh, this
0: is the other problem, right? The, did you, you find
1: did you... the giant corpse with flies around it?
0: Uh, the giant corpse with flies around it. Yes, I did. That was a very annoying boss fight. Yeah, I actually I kept...
1: skipped it. <laughs>
0: Okay, I, mm. I just kept going up the platforms and hitting it, I guess. And, I think uh,
1: what you're supposed to do is... When you have the ability to damage things with the bat's sonar... You have to use that. Oh. Uh. Uh, yeah, but I, I never went back to do it... Because it annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it was, was optional. Yeah.
0: I, um, I relied a lot on the Bible spinning around you... To deal with the flies as I was jumping in.
1: Yeah, so... I've pretty much spoken about all of my notes... Was there anything else you want to talk about, Pat?
0: No, that's, um, that's pretty much it. I'm happy to to wrap up. So, so, James, would you recommend Castlevania Symphony of the Night to today's audience?
1: Absolutely, 100% would. Honestly, despite some of my grievances with the combat and the latter half of the game, this is the game that I've had the most fun with while doing the podcast so far. I think that I would 100% recommend people play Uh, the story's whatever the combats, whatever, but it feels so nice to play. And the exploration is so rewarding and just so tight and nice. I love it. Uh, I love the aesthetic. I love the music. I think it's a great game. Uh, Although I would recommend probably skipping the inverted castle, honestly, just, just beat Richter and then pretend the game's over. I think you'll have the most fun experience if you do that.
0: So um, my my take on it is that so so firstly I alluded to it slightly before, but it's very hard for me to talk about and think about Castlevania without also thinking about Hollow Knight in the same breath because to me one is Hollow Knight is so directly inspired by Castlevania in so many ways. I think Symphony of the Night is a great game. I think you should play it. I think it, 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 it's beautiful, the aesthetic's brilliant, the music is a symphony, it's a wonderful game, but you need to go into it with the understanding that the gameplay experience is worse than today's Metroidvanias. That isn't a bad thing, like 20 years later you would expect uh, us to have made leaps and bounds, but I guess when I heard of how vaunted this game was being talked of. I was expecting a far more robust and enjoyable gameplay experience. The truth is, the gameplay experience in this game is is average, but the atmosphere and the beauty of it and the exploration more than make up. So, so I, I would absolutely recommend it. I also would say you should play the inverted castle. Don't don't skip it. There are still some good boss fights plenty of good moments there you should play to the end of the game. but but it, it, it is a it is a drop-off in in quality uh, even further it's just you know when you're that far in you may as well finish the game right
1: yeah i i wish i kind of stopped at Richter and then i would have thought a lot more i, I already think highly of this game but i would have thought a lot more of it if my uh, the end experience hadn't been somewhat tarnished just a final yeah. hot take just to emphasize one of these points I've made over and over, I think Alucard controls better than Hollow Knight does, despite having worse movement options. I, I, I wonder if that'll upset Pat at all.
0: It, it does upset me. I, I, I don't know how you can say that he controls better than Hollow Knight when, for starters, the protagonist in Hollow Knight is half the size of Alec, So he has more. he already, from the beginning, has more degrees of dodging and movement you turn on a dime in Hollow Knight exactly the same way. I think the source is very similar.
1: I disagree. I think Alucard is much more responsive, but I, I've been what, having input what, delays what I would, issues.
0: What I would suggest is looking up some of the boss fights at the very end of Hollow Knight, particularly the Radiant boss fights. Oh, the fight gameplay's way better. The, I'm,
1: not, I'm not arguing no, about no, that. But,
0: but what I'm saying is that the final levels, I guess, the final mastery of Hollow Knight requires insanely precise movement to dodge the bullet hell aspects of the later levels of the game so to me it doesn't make sense to say the controls in hollow knight aren't perfect because there is no way you could perfectly dodge these ridiculous attacks if the controls weren't perfect I'm happy to say that Symphony of the Night controls equally well to Hollow Knight. I think that equally is responsive, but there is no way that it's more, like, it it controls better than Hollow Knight. (laughs) Hollow Knight's controls are incredibly precise.
1: I just wanted to bait you a little there, let's be honest. (laughs) Well, mate, it definitely works. You Um, You can't
0: mess with my boy Hollow Knight.
1: <laughs> so uh, I guess I guess that's the end there, though. um We both really enjoyed this game, and we hope that if you like, did give it a try, you would enjoy it too. So next fortnight we'll be playing Patrick's choice of game, and he's chosen what exactly, Patrick?
0: Um, I have chosen Red Alert Two. It's the opposite of a thinking man's art. It's no, it's no StarCraft. But when I was growing up, I didn't play StarCraft. My dad didn't buy StarCraft. It was to uh, he bought Red Alert, which is about tanks and nuclear warfare so and I communism wanted to, uh, and communism <laughs> i wanted to uh revisit red alert 2 because like a lot of games i have very uh fond memories of stumbling my way through it i wanted to see if it was actually a good rts in the in the face of stuff like starcraft yeah,
1: and it'll be good to get away from some platformers for a week uh rts will be uh, an interesting topic i'm sure yeah um, it's a
0: big change of pace
1: so i'd like to finish on thanking the people who have given us feedback the people who have listened to us and if you'd like to give more feedback, we'd love that. And you can find all of our details on our website at rspodcast.net.
0: Yeah, this was our um, our first post-launch episode. So we have gathered a lot of feedback. So hopefully we've addressed it to some degree and we're eager to hear more. So let us know what you think.
1: Yep. And from both of us, thanks for listening and we'll see you in two weeks. Adios.